we look at our lives, a lot of times we go, well, I, I'm lacking in one or two of those. I don't, I don't feel straight in those areas. Deep conviction, a heart for people to know the Lord, and an unwavering boldness. And because we maybe feel like we're lacking a little bit, it, it creates a reticence in us to tell people about the gospel because we say, well, I don't know, I don't really, I, I don't really know what to say, I don't know the right verses, I, I don't know how to share the gospel, and, and I don't really feel confident uh, enough in what I believe to take that to somebody else. Or we just really don't feel a need. We don't feel a heart for people. That, that It's kind of a hard thing to say, but we just, it's not a burden for us. We're not like Jesus who looked at the crowds and it said he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. All around us, not only in this neighborhood, but in our workplace, our families, our community, there are people that are sheep without a shepherd today. They don't know Jesus. They have no concept how much they need Jesus. They just know their lives aren't right. Well, who's going to tell them? The Holy Spirit brings conviction, but Jesus has commissioned us to go tell them. So if we don't have a heart for them, then, then there's a, a, an issue there. Or maybe we just don't, we're not bold. Now, all of these things, if we're weak in, in one or more of these areas, it indicates that there's some kind of, and I want to say this carefully because I don't want to be, uh, be harsh here, that there's a spiritual deficiency somewhere. There's, there's something that's lacking. If we don't have deep conviction, that's caused likely by one of two things. Either we're not spending enough time in the Word, uh, and, and we are hesitant to accept it as the rule of our lives, or there's ongoing sin that still persists that's hardening our hearts. But if our convictions are not deep and strong and bold and growing and maturing every single day, then we are not doing what it takes to facilitate and nurture those convictions in our lives. If we don't have a heart for people, that is caused by one thing. It's caused by too much self. It's caused by a greater love for ourselves than for other people. And when that's our preoccupation, when self is the preoccupation, we're not thinking about others. And when we're not thinking about others, it should be an indication and a warning sign that we're too preoccupied with ourselves. The third issue of not being bold to share the gospel really stems out of the first two. We're not bold because we're not convicted and because we don't know what to say and because we haven't spent enough time with the Word and because there's still sin and, and we don't feel a, a real heart for people because self is still in control. But, but there's also really a, a, a deeper purpose than that. If we don't have the boldness, it may be because we don't really understand our calling. When we understand our calling, when we understand our mission, we need to realize and we will realize what God has put in us to empower us to reach people and impact people for Christ. But if we're lacking these areas, we need to immediately, and I mean immediately, I don't mean tomorrow, I don't mean Tuesday, we need to immediately ask the Lord to expose the cause of the weakness and then to give us the courage and impetus to change. Because we really cannot start tomorrow Still lacking, still saying, well, I recognize that kind of hurt when you talked about that. That kind of cut into me, but, but that was me. But I don't, I, I'm not really going to do anything about it. I'm going to start Monday, the same place I am this morning, and, and I'm not going to ask the Lord to change me. That, that's not going to work. We need to say, Lord, this is a weakness in me. This is something you've called me to do. 
And, and if I just accept that the problem exists and, and don't ask you to renew my mind and change me, listen, God will confront us on that down the road. It may be tomorrow, it may be in a year, but he will challenge us on that. Because this is what he's called us to. We need to move on to maturity. We need to move past the sins that so easily beset us and deny the demands that self is making on us and say, Lord, here's what you've called me to do. Now, what I love about this passage and what I think is so awesome about Paul, we're in Philippians 1, verses 12 and 20. We'll read it in a minute. But what I want us to see this morning is, is how much Paul loved the Lord and how much talking about the Lord and sharing the gospel and leading people to an understanding of God's grace how much it was ingrained in spiritual being. He lived, ate, and breathed knowing and serving the Lord. He never stopped thinking about it. He was never uh, never uh, just able to relax and say, well, I'm going to get a little break here and I'm not really going to do anything and take some time off. Every opportunity he could where he would exalt Christ and talk to somebody about Christ, he did it. He was too busy being preoccupied with Jesus to be preoccupied with the other things in his life, let alone self. It was all he thought about. And honestly, I got convicted about this last night as I was finishing. This is how anyone who trusts in Christ should be. This, this shouldn't be an anomaly like, wow, look at the Apostle Paul. He was kind of, he was sold out. He was crazy. He was, he was on fire for the Lord. Everything he thought about was about Jesus and about exalting Jesus and about sharing Jesus. Wow, that's, that's really exemplary. There won't be many people like him. The fact is, every believer should be like him. Every Christian should be like him. Why? Well, Paul, that's outlandish. Come on, nobody can be like Paul. Why? We have the same spirit he had. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been given the same new nature. We've been given the same resources. Actually, we have more resources than he had. We have the same heart and the same mind. So why wouldn't we? And yet, too often, we excuse ourselves. And American Christianity excuses itself like, wow, that's really an amazing example, but, but I can't be like that. Listen, Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. And we should be able to say that to another young believer. Listen, follow my example. Not bragging, not like, look at me. I am here, and I have arrived, and you need to watch me. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's not bragging. Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. In other words, as you look at my life, you're going to see Christ all through it. And, and if you're new in the faith or you're struggling, you can come alongside me and just watch what I do because I'm following Christ so intently that you'll be able to see what it looks like. Every one of us should be able to say that to another Follow me as I follow Christ. He was totally a man. We'll study in chapter 3, but once he had been all about himself, he had been about personal glory. He had been about racking up achievements. He had been about seeing and being seen as, as powerful and, and, and righteous and, and doing all the right things and following all the right standards and saying all the right things. But now he says, when I look back at that life, that life is garbage. Because that life was about me. And now I want to deny myself. And I want, when you look at my life, I want there to be no separation between me and Christ. No break in the relationship. 
that, that I would not be demanding my rights or my way in any way because all I want to do is live for Christ. Now the only way you can have that attitude and that mindset is to be like this text because it's not natural. It's not human. But here's the weird phrase. We're not human. We're not human. We're aliens. That's what the Bible calls us. Not like E.T. Full Not that weirdness, okay? We're, we're, this is not our citizenship. We don't belong here. We're still here because we're waiting Jesus to come back. We're waiting to be taken to heaven. But, but we don't belong here. Our citizenship has changed. We're no longer citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. So he says, this is not natural for you to think this way because you're not naturally minded anymore. You're heavenly minded. You're spiritually minded. And that's how Paul can say these words. Look at the verses, verses 12 to 20 of chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, preaching Christ even from men in strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, there's an undeniable perspective here that is really, really remarkable. Paul is in jail, and there's a lot of debate among scholars of which imprisonment this is, because he was in jail four different times. I believe that this is uh, the last imprisonment in Rome, that this is one of the last books that he writes, that he's near the end of his life, and that he's writing back to the Philippians and praising them for, for being faithful. Whatever the case, he's in jail, and he's old. And he's been struggling physically, you know that from 1 Corinthians. And he has a good sense at this point that he's not going to get out, that he's not going to have the active ministry that he had before, that he's not going to keep traveling to cities and evangelizing and setting up churches and encouraging them and then moving to the next town. Those days are done. Paul is now in jail, and there's got to be this hard realization on, on his life, someone who's so passionate like he is about the work of ministry, that, that now this is not active anymore. But instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of kind of collapsing in his self-pity, he takes a fresh approach to ministry. He realizes that there's now a next step of ministry that he didn't necessarily anticipate. And now he starts to write to churches and teach them and train them and encourage them. And, and even though his act of evangelizing is done uh, in terms of being out in the field, now he's stuck in one place. And he looks around and he says, you know what? There's nothing stopping me from evangelizing here. 
Because there's a steady stream of prisoners and there's a steady stream of guards that's coming through. So he writes to the church of Philippi and he's probably thinking about to Acts 16 when he and Silas were in Philippi and they were in jail and they had the earthquake in the middle of the night. Remember as they sang songs and praised the Lord and the earthquake came and their chains fell off and they didn't go anywhere. And the jailer comes in and he says he's ready to kill himself because he knows everybody took off. And Paul says, none of us have left. No, we're still here. And the jailer's like, what? And he comes in and he's heard the singing throughout the night and he's heard them praising God and he knows that it's unusual that they wouldn't have left. And he says a direct question in Acts 16.31, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas witness to him and his whole family is So Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's thinking about his stay in Philippi and he's thinking about the opportunity that the Lord gave him that he didn't anticipate to witness to the jailer and his family. And now he looks around his own jail cell in Rome and he says, you know what? I can do the exact same thing here. Nothing's stopping me from sharing Christ with these people. And now he starts to look for doors to influence people for Christ. But he didn't need to be convinced of that. Somebody didn't need to come along. Timothy didn't write to him and say, you know, Paul, while you're there, you should probably think about evangelizing the guards. It was a brain in his heart. Everything about Paul, this is what I want us to see out of this text here in verses 12 and 20. Everything about Paul was designed to advance the gospel. He knew how radically the gospel had transformed his own life, and now he wants everybody to know it in their lives too. And there's a spiritual principle here that we can't afford to glide by, and it's very challenging, and it's even very confrontational, because it is important for us to ask. The question is, do our lives show the evidence of radical transformation by God's grace? Now I want you to let that sink in for a second because it's a tough question. And there's so much in, in our Christian culture, there's so much just kind of a, I pray a prayer or I go to church or whatever, but there's not really a change. But, but through Christ, we just celebrate at the table. Through Christ, there is a radical transformation that takes place from old to new, from death to life. And we are not supposed to look like we did before. So we have to ask ourselves, am I showing a radical evidence of radical transformation? And if the answer to that is no, I, I think there are only three possible reasons why that's true. One is that we got saved very young, before our life was really bad. But there still should be a marked difference between who we were at 10 and who we were at 20 and who we are at 40 or 50. So that one's kind of in play, but, but not really. So there are only two other reasons. If our lives don't show radical transformation, there are two reasons. One is that we haven't really trusted Christ as Savior. Sin and self still have control, and we kind of think that, that we're a believer, but, but we haven't released our lives to Christ. The other reason is that we are unwilling to yield to the Lord, and we're playing a spiritual balancing game where we're trying to kind of walk with the Lord, and we're trying to kind of live for ourselves. But that hybrid spirituality 
all that does is show kind of a bland alteration rather than a radical transformation. Our lives should be so different than they were 10 years ago. Our lives should be so different than they were 20 years ago. And our lives should be unbelievably, unmistakably different than before we were saved. There's no question. There's no debate about that. The Bible never teaches indiscernible change. It says if anyone is in Christ, they are a what? New creation. They're new. The, the old is gone. There's no evidence. There's no desire. There's no participation. There's, there's no a part in what we used to be. There's only newness. There's only Christ. There's only holiness. There's only the Spirit. Now that's not my words. It's hard to say this this morning. That's the word of God. There's been a spiritual exchange and everything should change with it. And one of the things that should change most significantly is our perspective on life because now it's no longer about us. It's about Christ. We'll study that next week. It'll be our key verse. It's the key verse of the book. For me to live is Christ. Don't live for myself anymore. I, I can't live for myself because that would be dishonoring to what Jesus did on the cross. It's a new life. And that's what Paul shows here. It's very powerful. Let's dive into the text and develop it and then we'll pray. Every time I study this text, I, I crave this level of spiritual maturity. I crave this level of joy and this level of confidence in my faith and this contented dependence on the Lord because it only comes from complete surrender. I mean, look at his attitude here. If you and I were in this situation, what, what would we be feeling? You're basically done with, with, with what seems to be the useful years of your ministry. It would be easy just to kind of rationalize, well, Lord, you've kind of brought it to a close and it's time to rest. I've served well, and now I can't really do anything. I'm in jail, so I'll, I'll write a couple letters. But there are others to take the ministry now. Lord, Lord, bless Epaphroditus and, and bless Timothy and bless John Mark. They're doing the work now. I'm just gonna kind of, I'm gonna kind of bring it. Or you can go to the opposite extreme, and you can get really depressed and despondent. Lord, why have you taken me out of active ministry? I was serving you. I was faithful. I was setting up churches. People were coming to know Christ. And now I'm right here in this jail. And, and maybe he's feeling regret that he actually wanted to go to Rome or, or whatever the case may be. But that's not what Paul's doing here. Neither of those. Why, though? I asked myself that. Why, why doesn't he feel either of those things? And the answer is that he has a very clear understanding of the purpose of his life. And he has an urgency for the work of ministry that's every believer's calling. Here's Paul's purpose. His purpose was to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. That's it. To exalt Christ and to advance the gospel. It would be a good slogan for a church. We're going to exalt Christ and we're going to advance the gospel. It's really all there is because everything falls under exalting Christ. We're going to be a church of prayer that exalts Christ. We're going to be a church of worship that exalts Christ. We're going to study God's word and grade in our hearts because that exalts Christ. And as we do that, then we're going to advance the gospel. So Paul had two things. 
Exalt Christ, advance the gospel. And the time frame wasn't later. The time frame was now. Look at his words back in verse 12. He says, I want you to understand that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So my imprisonment in the cause of Christ is now well known. In other words, Philippians, understand, I'm not bitter and frustrated here. God has given me a fresh calling. And now my personal ministry is to get the gospel to progress to other people. That should be our personal calling, and it should be our calling as a church. An active intentionality to make Christ known in our culture, both by how we're living and how we're deliberately talking about Jesus Christ. If there's one regret I have in the last four and a half years, is that we haven't done this better as a church. We haven't evangelized enough. We haven't outreached enough. And that needs to change, and it's going to change. We're going to put a greater emphasis on reaching out, whether we're here or somewhere else. But wherever God places us, this city needs Christ. So we've got to start doing that work. But it doesn't just start with, oh, Harbor Rock's now got a program where we're going to reach out. That'll work a little bit, but it's got to start in our lives. Because if it's not great in our lives, we can have a thousand programs that won't work. They won't work. It has to be who we are. And you know what? The enemy's going to load up a lot of reasons why this is a bad idea. Well, I don't know. You're going to need more training. And you're busy that day. And you have a lot of things going on. And you're not really candid to be involved. And somebody else can do it better. And I, I don't know. No, 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 no. This is our calling. This is our commission. This is our job. And we can't say, well, our circumstances. Now, listen, Paul's got circumstances like crazy. But instead of being bitter, he's focused and full of purpose. And his goal is clear and his commitment is absolute. I am going to exalt Christ and I am going to advance the gospel. So he writes to the Philippians and he says, listen, this is great. This is great. I'm in jail. And it's well known that I'm in jail. And let me tell you guys what's going on. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm not saying, look, I'm a celebrity. Now everybody knows I'm in jail. He says, let me, let me tell you, the Praetorian guards, who were the upper echelon of the Roman guards, they were the ones that served the generals. They were like a mix of, of the secret service and the special forces. The Praetorian guards were the top-notch guys. So they put those guys to guard Paul. And he says, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. God, you've given me this opportunity now. And, and, and these guys have been trained in all situations. They're not going to be fooled. They're not going to be persuaded. They are Rome all the time. But you know what? The gospel's stronger. And Paul looks outside his cell and he sees the Praetorian guards there and he goes, opportunity. And he starts to talk to them. He talk about sin. Talk about the need for a Savior, and to talk about Jesus Christ, who had confronted him on the road to Damascus, and to talk about new life, and to talk about the bondage of sin, and he can point to his own shackles and say, This is what sin does. But you know what? You can be free of that. And as he starts to witness to them and evangelize to them, he reaches people he couldn't have reached if he was out of jail. He could have stood in the Forum of Rome and talked about Jesus. But now here is an area where he can be more effective than standing in the middle of the square. Because now he can reach the Praetorian guards 
and he's so persuasive, not him, the gospel. The gospel is so persuasive that they start to change the guards more frequently because everybody's starting to trust Christ. And the emperor says, we can't have this. These are my special forces. And they're coming back and they're talking about Jesus and talking to Paul. You know what? Change the guards every four hours instead of six. And they come back and say, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. We can change the guards every hour. The guy's really persuasive. And our guards are starting to trust Christ. And then look at the impact that has on other people. Look back at the text. Other believers who were outside were frightened now start to gain more courage as they hear about what's going on. Because if Paul was bold enough to share Christ with the Praetorian guards and they were coming to faith, then, then they could certainly go talk to average Romans. If Paul could take on the special forces, well then, my neighbor, I can talk to him about Christ. Is that the kind of influence we have? Does, does our faith and our faithfulness build confidence and courage in others? Not just to be stronger spiritually. That's a big job, to build each other up in the faith. But, but does our confidence and our courage now build people to be more active in ministry? Do we want to share Christ more? Paul says, I'm appointed to the defense of the gospel. And I asked myself as I read that over and over, Rhodes, what's your appointment? What's God called you to do? And if the answer is, I don't know, then we need to say, have I asked the Lord for clarity? Because God didn't save us to just say, well, just enjoy, just wait it out, just, just kind of do your thing, and, and eventually I'll either come back or you'll die and go to heaven. But, you know, just, hey, you're saved now. Just, just chill. He called us for a purpose. He called us for an appointment. What's your appointment to ministry? Have you really asked the Lord? I don't not mean this pejoratively. I'm saying this curiously. Have you really asked the Lord what He wants you to do? Or are you preoccupied? Are you thinking about other things? We are commissioned as believers to be witnesses, to be disciple makers, and to be ambassadors. And if we are ill-equipped or hesitant, we better ask the Lord right now for help. Witnesses, it is our job to tell people about Jesus Christ. You don't need an evangelism course, although it's helpful. You don't need special training, although it's helpful. You just need to say, here's what happened. Paul didn't have an evangelism course in his jail cell. He didn't say, well, let me take you through step one and read paragraph four and you need to read this book. Listen, those things are great. But what made Paul effective? He said, the gospel's changed my life and I want to tell you about it. And people came to Christ in groves. Because people want to hear, this has changed me. And they want to see the evidence that it has changed us. That will convince them far more than some book. So, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be disciple-makers. It's a hard job. And yet, it's the calling that each of us have. If we are growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're studying His Word, if we're people of prayer, it will not be hard to encourage and help someone else do the same thing and to help them move on to maturity. The reason we don't disciple other people is we're not moving on to maturity ourselves. So how can we help somebody else go somewhere that we can ignore ourselves? 
So witnesses, disciple makers, and then ambassadors. We're supposed to represent Christ. An ambassador carries out the, the desires of the one that they're serving. So as ambassadors, we're supposed to go out and represent Christ in everything that we do. Every word, every action, every intent, every conversation, every social media post, every uh, action that we take out in public, the things that people see us do, how we treat our kids, how we treat our spouse, how we treat each other, how we talk. It is all supposed to represent and honor Christ. Now, this is not my calling. This is our calling. Every single person that trusts Christ. Paul says, this is not a bad thing. This is a wonderful thing. Because the gospel has changed us. Think about how we felt when we talked about the victory table. About the fact that that table represents victory. We are all amen and encouraged. We're excited. Listen, now we're saying we get to go talk about the victory. We get to go tell other people, you can have victory too. And he says, listen, some people are preaching about this in the right way, and some people are preaching about it for themselves. And they're impeding my character. I don't care because either way, Christ is being preached. Not about me, it's about Jesus. If the gospel is going out, so be it. For Paul, the method didn't matter. What mattered is that people heard about Christ. And he says, I rejoice. Look back at verse 19. He says, I rejoice knowing this will be for my deliverance. He's not talking about getting out of jail. I think he's realistic and knows he won't. He says, I'm confident that no matter what happens to me, Christ is going to be exalted. See, Paul's definition of shame was not disobedience. And it was not lack of faith. And it certainly wasn't late sin. He had moved well past that. He says, here's how I define shame. Shame on my life would be if I don't honor and represent Christ for Imagine having that perspective in our hearts every day. The, the, the worst thing that I could do today would be to dishonor Christ to others. As we think about that, that changes and challenges how we live and how we think. Paul's influence at this point could have been so detrimental. It could have been so discouraging. He could have written to the churches and, and say, I just, I, I feel horrible. I'm in jail. I can't get out. Nothing's going on. I'm so sad. I'm so frustrated. I wish I could be there with you guys. And, and I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know why the Lord's done this. I, I, I just, I just, I want to press on, but I'm stuck. I'm in chains. And I talk to the jailers once in a while, but, but I'm very despondent. Imagine if Paul had written that. Would we want to study that? Would we go, all right, let's dive into Philippians. Paul is despondent and discouraged, and he doesn't know what to do with his ministry. We go, what? But he says, look at this. I mean, imagine how, how that would have taken the wind out of the sails of those doing ministry if Paul wrote that. But that's not what he writes. He says, this is wonderful. God's given me opportunity. I'm talking to the guards. They're changing more often because they're coming to Christ. And as people are hearing about this, they're getting more bold in themselves to go share their faith. And people are coming to Christ. Isn't this great? I'm in jail. Christ is being. 
And the gospel's advancing. And isn't that the point? I don't have to stand in the pulpit in Philippi and preach for Christ to be exalted and the gospel to advance. I'm doing it right here in this jail cell. So Philippians, listen. Learn to be content in all things. Don't let your circumstances drive you because believers in Rome and believers throughout Asia Minor are now getting empowered because of my circumstances. So I've got to praise God and say, good Lord, thank you for putting me here even though I don't personally like it. It's not about me. And I am so glad that you put me here because now I can influence Are you and I having that kind of influence on people around us? Every day, we are running into dozens, if not hundreds of people. And we have an opportunity to influence them. Even here this morning, you have an opportunity to influence people just by your, your spiritual posture. I'm not talking about your meal, your standing, your raisins. I'm talking about attitude. I'm talking about reflection and joy. I'm talking about praise to the Lord. I'm talking about the choir singing, hallelujah, I'm talking about diving into his word. I'm talking about encouraging, hugging somebody, and saying, how can I pray for you today? Adults who are praying, remember what we said about, about encouraging today, okay? Don't forget the assignment. How can I pray for you today? Not just to throw away, hey, I'll pray for you, that's good, and then we don't want to. No, really, how can I pray for you? Tell me. I want to know. I'm going to commit to praying for you this week. Every single day, I'm going to pray about that, that burden that's on your heart. And I'm going to call you on Friday and say, how are you doing? Now, I prayed for you. I, I really did. Not just throw away. I really prayed for you. What's going on? How's God worked? Come to prayer meeting Thursday. Let's, let's pray together. The influence that we can have on people just by being joyful, just by honoring Christ, just by talking about the Lord. Then when we gather here and we encourage each other, now we go out into a world that so desperately, desperately, desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's here, here's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity to influence. Not, not, just, not just, let me tell you John 3.16. That's good. We need to do that. I'm talking about just general influence in our lives. Do people see us praising the Lord in different circumstances? Do they see Christ in us? Do they see set-apart lives? Do they see holiness? Do they see thoughtfulness? Do they see love? Do they see prayer? Do they see worship? I mean, is that what they're seeing in our lives? There is no greater purpose that we have. That's why we're still here. And when God's done with that part of our lives, He'll take us to heaven. But while we're still here, this is our calling and our commission. To literally have a life-changing influence on thousands of people. Those two people that you thought about at the start, they changed your life. They influenced your life. Spiritually, somebody stepped into your life and said, let me, let me help you understand. Let me teach you the gospel. Let me mentor you and disciple you and train you. And I promise you, they did not see that as something intimidating. They saw it like Paul does as an awesome privilege. You and I, I'm done. 
and who listened so well. You and I have the awesome privilege of being one to you. It's an awesome privilege. It's an honor that God would choose somebody like me and somebody like you to develop people spiritually. He put that in our hands. Now it's our God. Let's close our eyes. I pray God would stir our hearts this morning to be that person of influence like those two people we thought of at the start. Like these two men in Indonesia who have a past, but their lives have been changed, and now they just want to sit in jail and talk to people about Christ. Like Paul in Rome, where he could have felt sorry for himself and responded and said certain things were rough, and he says, now there's an opportunity. 